Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast, the third edition of It Just Meant More. We've got a dandy today, just an absolute treat of a game. 2003, Arkansas versus Kentucky, a.k.a. the seven-overtime game. Not the seven-overtime game that we saw last year between LSU and A&M. The seven-overtime game from 2003 with a couple of teams who were not playing for a national championship. They weren't playing necessarily for a New Year's six birth. Where Arkansas wasn't because Arkansas was only... Uh, they were Arkansas four and three and, three and four and four Yeah, coming so, into the game. This was um, this game just set it set a record for uh, it tied for the longest game ever played. It had a combined 137 points. By the way, four hours and 56 minutes. The LSU A and M game last year was four hours and 53 minutes. It was the most points ever scored in an NCAA football game since 1950. And this was a game that go figure. Who it in was the hell put up that many points in 1950? <laughs> I think it, it had to have been one of those like. Michigan is playing like a hardware store. Yeah. And they just like score at will pretty much every single time. And there's like, oh, Jimmy Legs McGee off right in. And Michigan goes up 98 to 3 in the third quarter. Yeah, but they're not bad for a hardware store. Right. (laughs) Uh, They're getting paid 30 cents an hour. Or no, that's even probably way too much. 30 cents an hour, 30 cents a week, maybe. I don't know. I don't know money in 1950. Um, This game was 24 to 17 with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And the overtime scoring sequence in this game was 7, 7, 3, 8, 6, 8, 8. But except in the last one, Kentucky had zero, and ultimately Kentucky lost this game. This is, in many ways, a a peak Jared Lorenzen game. He he and Matt Jones, we'll get to in a second, but uh, they kind of define this game, and they had this great back and forth. And Lorenzen, fittingly, like doesn't win this game, despite the fact that he was absolutely brilliant. And this game was so good because of how good he was. And good from an entertainment standpoint, I should say. Yeah, it was a terrible football game. It was a, if, if you, you know how I get with pre-snap penalties, this was tough to watch. There were there, so they came. They said coming into the game, it's like, yeah, Arkansas has had a tough go over the past two weeks. Like, I want. I wish you could see my notes because, like, I was, I was desperately looking for stuff in the first during regulation regulation is a grind it is a grind like my first note says halo rule change that year because i was just looking for anything because there was nothing going on the entire time but like it's at one point they they brought up the fact that i think it was they were like arkansas had uh it was like you know i don't Houston Nutt is, hasn't lost. He's only lost four games in a row at Arkansas once in his career. <laughs> I was like, what? And they were talking about how they had had 19 penalties in the previous two weeks combined. And I was like, God, that is 19? Bama hasn't had 19 holding penalties called since Saban's been there, which is probably something with the refs. But, like, it was, it was, it was yeah, not good. And they were like, and most of them are defensive holding and pass interference, which made no sense because on that defense, the secondary should have been the strength. And then lo and behold, we get to overtime, and they had 11 penalties in this game. This game was drunk in a lot of ways. Arkansas was, under Houston Nutt was drunk. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair to say. I think that for how streaky they were at times, at, at times they, were, they were just riding high. They were a team that got as high as number seven in the country this season, and then they just kind of fell apart coming into this game. I think it was number nine. this game badly. I, th- it, I thought I thought I remember seeing number seven, but there's there's it, no better way 10. to sum up a Houston Nut coach team because and we'll get to the Matt Jones stuff later. But if you would have told me that Houston Nut coached his entire career 
strictly off of like no research, no practice, no game to like film like the week of. And it was just like elbow grease and amphetamines. I'd be like, yep, I believe that. I 100% believe that because he was so crazy on the sidelines. So they start the year unranked, right? They make the SEC championship game the year before. They, they lost to Kentucky and then won six in a row in 2002. They make the SEC championship game. Going into the season, they're unranked. They beat Texas, like, second week of the year. Number five, Texas, yeah. So, start of the year, they're unranked. By the end of the third week, they're ranked number nine in the country. Right. And they go to play Alabama. Bama blows a 31-10 lead. And fun fact, Connor, that was the day my dad decided we were not going to renew our season tickets anymore. Yikes. We were walked out of the stadium as Arkansas hit a game-winning field goal because we knew it was over. Um and like they, but like under Houston, not like they end up losing like their next three games, and they go back to being unranked, and then they go into this game and rattle off like I think like five out of the last six or four out of the last five like wins. It was a very streaky roller coaster year for, for Arkansas, and this game sort of epitomizes it because it was such a roller coaster game where there were so many different instances where you think Arkansas is done. There's no way they're going to come back from this. Kentucky has this game in the bag. And they still just find a way to keep coming right back. And to, to both teams' credit, I mean, this game could have ended much, much earlier. Yeah. And we, wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about it today. But because they Thank played God. seven overtimes, and it wasn't just, that was the kind of the cool thing about this, is that it wasn't just, oh, touchdown, two-point conversion, touchdown, two-point conversion, every team matching throughout the entire time. Like, the variance of the overtime periods made this game absolutely nuts. You're like, how does this keep happening? Like, how do they keep finding a way to match there were so many do or die plays that both teams would either come up clutch for or you know they had like or neither would to win and they would just completely fall apart it was this like perfect game where if you were an average person watching on a saturday night and you had no rooting interest whatsoever and you're just like eh, i'm gonna flip on this game because hefty lefty's playing in it or something like that and you're like it's 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 close it's down to the wire or whatever you were treated yes. to like two hours of entertainment after that. That was like just a great like it, it was like a like almost like a like a rom com in a way. Like yeah. you know, you're not gonna it's not gonna win awards down the road or something like that, but you're gonna be super entertained by it and you're gonna come out of it at the end being like, Well, that was worth my time and I'm glad that I decided to watch it. This that. was this was a loser's bracket of the Little League World Series consolation game. Th- this was like both teams are out and we've got like like the South Asian Pacific team or whatever, and then we've got a team from like Des Moines, Iowa, and they're gonna play for fun because like why not? And the, the final score is like I don't know, eleven to thirteen or something. It was. I mean, this was every time you would ever preach like like okay, just go out there and get a stop. Go out there and make something happen. It it would and it would not happen for one for one team or the other. It was. I mean, it was it was it was a lot. This is the game that that would never end, and uh, we'll get to Bill Curry later on because oh, he was he was something on the broadcast. But you felt like I'm, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life listening to Bill Curry just speak nonsense. Well, he was the real ears. MVP. Um, all right, but the real MVPs of this game, the A-listers, they're they're pretty obvious in my opinion, and they're a little bit different than the ones that we've done in the past. Where you know the the first two. It just meant more is that we've done were so star studded. I mean, you had guys like, <laughs> you had guys like Tebow this and Amari Cooper and Aaron, and Aaron Murray. Like th- this was not that. No. So Jared Lorenzen, though, to his credit, was brilliant in this game. And by this point, he's he's a senior. Um, in this game, of course, you know he had five touchdowns, three of which were rushing, three hundred sixty-five yards in this game. 
hadn't been to a bowl game yet, and he right. said he said coming into this game, this is the most important game of his career. Yeah. Which I, I mean, like from an outside perspective, you're like, okay, it's just another you know Saturday night game against Arkansas, a team that that you Kentucky throw out only the played three when times. Kentucky and Arkansas play. Right. I mean, they had only played three times in their history, which, right. you know, this was by no means a, a rivalry game. But at that point, Jared Lorenzen was a Kentucky legend. That was the un, unquestioned thing. And every single time he would scramble or something like that, you would hear this rise out of the crowd. That, And so you watch it back live. We've obviously seen a lot of the highlight clips of, of Jared Lorenzen with his passing last month. But it, when you watch it live and you actually hear that reaction, it, it hits you a little bit different. You're, you're just like... Wow, this guy! This guy was just like his own breed, and watching yeah. him do what he did. No, agreed. And it's it's weird too to think about like so. I, I went through as I usually do uh, my deep dive on this game. Immediately, immediately uh, transformed into me just going into old recruiting books and recruiting. Oh it, it, like so, I'm like like, and usually it's like when we do like the, like the other the, the first two games, I've just gotten on like twenty four seven sports or rivals or something like that, and look look back. This time I went back to like like the paper paperback editions of the Forrest Davis recruiting annual, which of course you still have. On of you. course I still have. I have like six or seven of these, but like it's it's just weird going back because you start looking through the players in the SEC at that time because of course you you forget about some of these these names, but like Eli Manning was in the SEC at this point and Jared Lorenzen and you had so many of these and Matt Jones like these like these characters and it, that arguably could have been like the best quarterbacks like at their in their school's history all at the same time there were so many moments um in which you're like okay Jared Lorenzen is just so much different than every quarterback that yeah. we, that we've watched and part of it is because it, it, the ball just looks a little bit differently coming out of a lefty's hand I've always yeah. kind of thought that um but the fact that he's sitting there at 280 pounds and that's probably a little bit conservative if we're being honest um, that and that was my big, my coldest take was when they brought out like when they had weight. yeah his weight like no offense like I, this is not meant to like body shame Jared Lorenzen at all but like they they came out for the broadcast and they were like six four two hundred and sixty pounds and I was like when right, when, right, right. When, I mean in in the Forrest Davis recruiting annual he was six four two forty coming out of high school I just and, and they, the entire game they kept saying he was two eighty I was like you just don't you lie to me he had the fitting line in this game that told the entire story of it so with um six minutes left in this game um kentucky is down 21 to 17 and lorenzen's on the sideline kentucky had just kicked a field goal to make it a four-point game and lorenzen turns around and yells to the crowd he says hey where the hell y'all going y'all gonna miss one hell of a game and that clip was replayed probably three different times during overtime. I thought that podcast. was in overtime. That was the first time I saw it because I, I did skip through uh, some of that second half to get through overtime. Little did he know that that game obviously was going to turn into what it turned into. But here's the thing. At that point in the game, with six minutes left, Kentucky's down four. I don't actually think that Kentucky fans were leaving that game being like, oh, it's over, where we have no chance whatsoever. I think they were just going to the bathroom during a TV timeout, probably. I bet they were leaving. I, I bet they were leaving. And so here's here's the thing that sucks for like for Kentucky, and I, I, I didn't realize this until like rewatching this game, is, man, they had a lot of heartbreak. So like oh the, gosh, to, brutal! That 2002 team, like, like you know when you like we usually look at these, like, like I said, like the first thing I usually look for is like, okay, how many All SEC players do they have, or who were the A-listers, right? Because it's like the first thing in our doc, and I'm looking for Kentucky, and I'm like, 
I don't see it on Wikipedia. I don't see players like you know they they had a, a Dwayne Robinson was like the number four overall pick in the in the draft the year before, and that was like a seven and five team that was on probation, so they didn't make it to a bowl game. But that's the team that lost to LSU on um, the Bluegrass Miracle, right? Yep. Exactly. And the so it's preemptive like, Gatorade bath, yeah, right. And so you you just feel bad for Lorenzo. So I get why it matters, like it, you know that much, and like. I think like they lost by three total points to, to Florida when they were actually ranked. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Florida was ranked. It just I felt bad like for Kentucky fans because this was like peak peak Kentucky football. Like with Lorenzen yeah. at this level, yeah. Right. Uh, we'll get to, we'll definitely get to more hefty lefty talk later. Matt Jones in this game. My God. He starts out at wide receiver, which is interesting because the way that his career played out, of course. Jacksonville Jaguars drafted him in the first round to be a receiver because why? He's 6'6", 242, and he ran a 4'37 at the combine. Um, but in this game, he starts off at receiver, and Ryan Sorahan starts off at quarterback. And the the basically on the broadcast, usually you kind of know really what's going on there. They, they had no idea what was going on. Like, Houston Nutt kept his very close to the vest. And at the time you're watching the game, you're like, okay, obviously they're kind of frustrated with Matt Jones. They didn't like the way that he played the previous week. Um, maybe a little bit cynical here to question this, but do you think it could have been a disciplinary thing to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to not start you a quarterback to start this game? Houston Nutt is not a good football coach. That is the bottom line here. Fair that enough. Is, this is, so I think, and, and people always give me crap about about like being like a bandwagon Bama fan, and, and I can tell you, you, as you know, that I'm not. Like I, I went through like the 90s and the early 2000s. There was no bigger thorn in my side as a fan than Houston Nutt in Arkansas and Matt Jones. Matt Jones I, is arguably one of the best quarterbacks that's I feel like played in the SEC in the early 2000s, and that's not factual. There's nothing to back that up at all. No, his that numbers is, don't. They really that don't at all. But they, like, and we'll get to one of the plays later. But like. Every single touchdown pass he ever threw was like that second overtime touchdown pass where he's just backpedaling, backpedaling, mm-hmm. and then like off his heels just heaves a pass up, and out of nowhere somebody comes down with it for Arkansas. Like he he was no, I don't think that was that was disciplinary. I mean, it could have been, but I think could've it's just been. because Houston Nutt had no clue what he was doing with his roster. But to his credit, Matt Jones came out firing, ready to go. When he came in and took over at quarterback yeah. in the final minute of the first quarter, and then you remember, oh yeah, this is the guy who set the SEC record for rushing yards by quarterback. Eventually, that was broken by Nick Fitzgerald. But you're looking at this guy, and he just escapes everything. And you're just like, how in the world do you bring this guy down? He always finds a way to break contain. He gets to the edge, he gets to the sideline, or he makes a play happen. That happened time and time again. And he was kind of the perfect storm in this game for this Kentucky defense and why this went to seven overtimes in the first place. Because if you have a pocket passer who's just sitting back there and just trying to pick you apart, I don't think this game gets to seven overtimes. I don't know if this game gets to overtime in general, but Kentucky just could not figure out the answer. And Matt Jones looked like an all-world player on this night. Kentucky's defense was awful. Just bad. Bad. Awful Real bad. in this game. Well, I mean, they let up 71 points. And, you know, yeah, well, I mean, that was – that's that's t- not because of that. Just cause right, like, right. You know, I mean, and like Arkansas came into this game, I think only giving up like 20 points a game, like 320 yards per game, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Especially yeah. going into the SEC. But like – yeah, Matt Jones, man. He there were several times where it's like he he looked like a a gumbier version of Jared Lorenzen, just a stretched right, right. out version of Jared Lorenzen. Because like he also wouldn't come down, and he, he there was one play where he like went left and put one of the worst jukes I've ever seen in my life 
on a kid. And it was like third and eight. And he ended up somehow getting to the corner. But it was like if I went out there and was like, where am I going? Where am I? <laughs> like, it was like, you're not fooling anybody, man. And I think the kid fell over. It, like, he just, I don't want to say he was a um, sneaky athletic kid. Oh, come on. Because <laughs> he was. Don't use that stereotype. You're at but a 4.37. Like, but it made no sense. It made no sense that he was so effective. So everybody kind of knows, um, and if you don't know what happened with Matt Jones's career, um, some drug-related suspensions in the NFL. It blows me away, though, to think that when he was drafted by the Jags, that um, one, they decided to take a, a quarterback and convert him into a receiver as a first-round pick. Um, that, that, to me, is like... I'll say I, it. White kid. <laughs> like, they, they took a giant... I, I don't know how he ran a 4-3-7. I mean, he, he moved pretty well. I'm not going to deny that. He, he made it look a little bit easier than he than it w- probably was. But, yeah, I mean, I obviously the way that things played out with his career, he's going to look like a bust, and it's going to look like a bad decision. He actually had, like, a couple decent years in Jacksonville, dare I say, and that's why he kept getting these, these extra chances and stuff and, and why it ultimately didn't work out in the NFL. But my question was, if this if this were if Matt Jones were coming into the NFL in 2019 with today's day and age with you know guys who who are given these these abilities to to kind of move outside of the pocket and you know Lamar Jackson Baker Mayfield these types would Matt Jones be drafted as a quarterback I think he would be yeah because he's not a receiver <laughs> like like it just for me it just keeps going back to hold on let me see if we can find Matt Jones in here for me it just keeps going back to the fact that Houston Nutt it like. It's mind blowing the the decisions he made with this roster, like absolutely mind blowing. So, Matt, another guy who switched positions once he got to the NFL, something that we talked about a lot off air, and that you have some some interesting, a weird connection to, of course. Yeah, of course. George Wilson, the Arkansas receiver, who just dominated this game, had 172 receiving yards. He was the only player on the roster from Kentucky. They kept showing his family; they're from Paducah. Um, and, and they made the trip, and they made the trip in. Um, he he was actually like pretty decent this year. Like he wasn't you know some some dominant like you know all American type guy. Nine hundred yeah. receiving yards, six touchdowns. But go figure that this guy had a ten year NFL career as a safety and played so, in Tennessee for a, a long time. George Wilson was a regular man at Houston's, and it, I didn't even re- I didn't even put two and two together because I knew. Like, it took, like, like six months, maybe, I don't know, a year until I realized he even played at Arkansas in the SEC because we started talking football, and I knew he played for the Titans, like, and this is, like, right at the end of his career. Like, he was still waiting, you know, like, like, like thinking he might get picked back up. I mean, he had a very long career in Buffalo and in Tennessee. Yeah. So, I didn't realize that he played at, at Arkansas, and I didn't realize he was a receiver. We never had this conversation. And he, he's, like, one of the nicest dudes you will ever meet, very down-to-earth, and... It just wait. Just tell was, me what. Tell me what. Uh, oh, he's one of the most attractive dudes you'll ever meet. You'll, he's he's like every single girl that I worked with was like jaw drop, and and that's how I would be too. Because like we're gonna talk some football. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk some football today. Because <laughs> like you had to think it's like all these like rich buckhead Bettys coming in there that were just like miserable names like like Thurston and stuff like that. Like the worst people that you'd never want to talk to. And then like he comes in, he's just like cool, just sipping on his tequila and and just and, you know having like a, a sports talk, like guy talk. But yeah, every single girl we worked with was just like jaw drop. It's just like if it's but no, he so he's he's in the league for ten years as a defensive back. Go he obviously it. was a, a good receiver, you know, like especially in this game. But yeah, again, Houston, not, Houston. This this entire roster 
They, I tell you what, if Jared Lorenzen was at Arkansas, he would have been a second string defensive end. Yeah, for, maybe left, for uh, Houston left tackle, probably. Maybe. Like that. Uh, speaking of offensive tackles, how about Sean Andrews? He was a two-time All-American uh, at, at Arkansas. Was Arkansas's first ever sophomore All-American? They said that stat on the broadcast, and I was like, really? But that actually kind of makes sense because that was back in the day when underclassmen couldn't play college football, but yeah, obviously Sean Andrews could. Sean <laughs> um, Andrews became an All-Pro offensive tackle with the Eagles. It, he was... Uh, somebody that obviously had a very prolific career, maybe yeah. not as long. I think his, I think he only lasted for like a half dozen years in the NFL, but I think injuries ruined his career. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and check his Wikipedia page for that. But he the had thing 63 that, games played, like 57 starts. Right. I'm the not thing, looking that up. I'm looking at my Forrest Davis recruiting annual. There it is. Um, the thing that I'll remember most about Sean Andrews is what Bill Curry said on the broadcast where they yep. show they show the lineup photos and I tweeted this out uh, the other day and it was Sean Andrews has this look in this photo like he's sleeping laid back yeah. just just like just just chilling and uh, so Bill Curry when they show the lineup photo uh, it's he says great big Sean Andrews he may not be too good at taking pictures for the lineup but he's a heck of a football player he I mean and he <laughs> so was perfect. too we, we talked right. about this we talked about this earlier like so I, I posted this on Twitter today Sean Andrews is one of the best offensive linemen in the in the 2000s during that decade he was one of the best all decade linemen. team probably yeah I mean he, he was dominant um and I feel like he might have been like one of the first guys to, like you know go off on this run where Arkansas is always they seemingly always had like some giant six 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 seven mm-hmm. mammoth like left tackle that ended up playing the league for like at least five years. So <laughs> I look through this Forrest Davis and the 2001 first team All South team, and who do I see here at the the two of the five offensive linemen? Andrew Whitworth and Sean oh, yeah. Andrews. Perfect. I mean, and Marcus Spears is the tight end. Oh, the tight end. Yeah, but oh, like, dang. and the reason I bring that up is because Sean Andrews was the best tackle on this team, obviously. He ended up not even being the best tackle on this team, though, in the pros, because their tight end, who is an A-lister. Well, well, okay, so I saved him. I saved him. I saved Jason Peters for the prominent extras for I'll explain it. I'll explain yeah. it. Because he's an A-lister for for a variety of reasons, but I, I felt like his role in this game was more as a, a prominent extra, but I'll I'll explain that later. His role is the on the entire team and the entire season was a prominent extra. Like why did Houston not try to make one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL in like what like at least the past decade? Yeah, of the, of the 2000s, I think. Just of the total like of the of the the 21st century, yeah. I think you would put Jason Peters. Yeah, absolutely. Jason Peters, who's still in the league, right? Yeah, still like, in the league. I, still a big part of that offensive line. Yeah. Right. So, he has him as his tight end. He's 66 320 pounds. He's his tight end. There right, is well, no way. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna we'll circle back to him. I promise. Uh, the directors, Rich Brooks, first season at Kentucky, he took over for Guy Morris, and I the only image I'll ever have of Guy Morris is Jared Lorenzen dumping the Gatorade on him uh, prematurely. Of course, the Bluegrass Miracle that was the 2002 season. Um, but so Rich Brooks is entering this situation where you know Kentucky was seven and five. They're coming off the bull ban. But he had taken two years off of coaching in general, and he hadn't been in college in nine years. He was 62 when he started at Kentucky. Like this is such a Kentucky hire. What a, what a strange, strange hire! And you know, I mean, 
obviously the guy still had success there eventually, but just, I, I don't think a move like that gets made in 2019 where you're just like, oh, 62 year old guy who, you know, it, it's different than like Mac Brown or Les Miles because those guys have obviously had incredible success, but the, the Rich Brooks move was was an interesting one. And I don't remember like what the reaction was like for Kentucky fans, but I can't imagine he was like, oh, yes, let's go. We got Rich Brooks. We're all of a sudden like, we're, we're back. This is going to be the guy that's going to bring us to relevancy. Yeah, so he was the head coach. He was, this is Herm Edwards 1.0. Oh, that's interesting. So he was the head coach at Oregon when Oregon won the, the 94, Rose Bowl. Where they went to the 94 Rose Bowl and lost to Penn State and that Kajana Carter and Kerry oh, Collins yeah. team, Loaded all that kind of stuff. Um, and Oregon, he actually is an Oregon State grad as well. Go Beavs. As you're wearing your Oregon State shirt because everyone you know knows it. you are a diehard Oregon State <laughs> fan. Diehard Beavs fan. But he was, he was the head coach of the Rams starting in 95. He was getting, getting paid a, a whopping $625,000 to be the head coach of an NFL team. So he ends up like coming back, uh, coming back and go, like, I guess like coaching in college at Kentucky. But yeah, like he took, this was, this was his first year coaching in Kentucky and it was the first year. You think Saban and that turnover has it bad? It was the first year head coach, first year offensive coordinator and first year defensive coordinator. What could go wrong? Yeah, a couple things went wrong um, based on the way that season went for Kentucky. Just a couple of big issues with closing games out, and he he had um, he had some things that that did not go right in this game, and a, a move that 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 I think that he made, and I think it was the third overtime that I just I will talk about later on. But yeah, just you're had right. A lot of questions about it. Um, Wait, who was the head coach for Kentucky after him? So that would have been um, uh, Joker. Joker Phillips, right. okay. Joker Phillips would have been right after him. Yeah, it makes um, sense. But what a yeah, what what's just a strange period to have like to, to have an athletics department say, you know what, no, we're gonna hire this sixty-two <laughs> year old who it, you know, it's a little bit of trying to catch lightning in a bottle, maybe doing things kind of atypically. And I guess I shouldn't say that that definitely wouldn't be done in twenty nineteen because you bring up the Herm Edwards example and Mac Brown, obviously, and Les Moss, but like those guys have had different levels of success. Maybe Herm Edwards is probably the only appropriate way to describe it because a coach who took time off hadn't been in yeah. college in a while and then all of a sudden it's just like yep we're gonna hope this works out well kentucky back then like people forget this kentucky had a lot of interesting coaching hires because they had they had guy morris they like before like the year before but like again they were on they were on probation kentucky football was on probation because of how that happens how does that happen so before guy morris they had how mummy and so basically, I feel like what the Rich Brooks thing was like looking for stability. And I don't remember this when I was young, but like this might have been a home run hire, man. Like if he was the head coach for the the Rams, and he's coming back to coach, you know, Kentucky. He, like he coached Oregon to like I mean, Oregon was nothing before he got there. True. Um, but like people forget like that that late '90s team with like Tim Couch and all kind of stuff. How Mummy and and Mike Leach. On the same offensive coordinating, like like or the same offensive uh, staff, like that's that's crazy. Um, he didn't have a lot of help around him at yeah, all. Yeah, that's true. at all. Rich Brooks had a, a great little moment in this game where, because um, Lorenzen got off to just a terrible start and he was just putting Oof. way too, way too much gas on his throws, and they showed him on the sideline, 
And uh, Rich Brooks, like his whole thing was he was going to teach Jared Lorenzen how to read defenses. They had been running this, you know, kind of like air raid offense beforehand. And the whole goal was to get him to the level where he could be able to pick apart defenses and he wasn't improvising as much. Obviously, yeah. he still improvised really, really well. But they showed Rich Brooks on the sideline and he's doing this little like lefty toss, like he's lofting it or something like that. And Bill Curry says, I don't even think that he's a lefty, but he's still doing it just to try and hammer <laughs> that point home. So good for you, Rich Brooks. You use visual tricks to help teach your yeah. quarterback how to throw a football. I also love anytime you have a game from this this time period, because it's like this is 16 years ago, and Bill Curry and whoever the other guy is like on the broadcast said something about how Rich Brooks, a conditioning guru... I was oh, like, gosh, you know what? I bet he's not. I bet he's not. Like, I just, I just, I just, at the same time, because, like, this, this is like when, like, this always cracks me up because this is, this is that old school mindset where I'm sure he knew what he, like, he probably made them run a lot of gassers and up downs and things that probably weren't safe nowadays. But, like, it's like when somebody's like, oh, yeah, man, like, he's, he's a conditioning and nutritionist guru, but it's like, hey, have a gallon of milk with dinner. That's yeah. how you gain muscle. Like, oh, okay, sure, man. Thanks, guy. Um, all right, so somebody that you are very passionate about. I didn't realize you were going to be this heated about Houston Nutt. Houston Nutt Nut is so bad. So Houston Nutt in this game, he does sort of epitomize what it's like to watch from a fan's perspective. Of just You see every single emotion come out and the, just the angst that he has throughout this whole game. He looks like he was about three hours late to a dinner reservation the entire time watching this. Yeah. But he's partially responsible for that. Houston Nutt looks like me. Every single time Queso and I are out for a walk and he takes a dump and I and I realize at that moment I'm out of bags. Oh, that's like, the he, worst. He is just, he's like, hey, 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 just frantic. Just frantic the entire time. There's no, there's no calm, composed <laughs> resolve out of him at all. It is just, I, I, I mean, he, he is a, a, oh, he is a lot. He is a lot. But he is, in, in a way, like he—he's somebody that that know that learned the SEC super super well. This was, of course, before he had he, two jobs in the SEC, right? And was in the SEC for, I believe, thirteen years as a head coach. So this is before, obviously, he leaves Arkansas for Ole Miss, and then he sues Ole Miss, and then before he got, uh, before he he and Thomas Mars, of course, the famous lawyer who's now, ironically enough, working for the NCAA, still haven't yeah. quite processed that yet. But Lives before he, before they got Hugh Freeze fired at Ole Miss, of course. Um, there was a rumor that came out about Houston Nutt that he was uh, having an affair with a local news anchor at Arkansas. There was apparently yep. like over 200 text messages between them. Uh, weird. I had totally forgotten about the uh, the Mitch Mustaine emails that were sent, um, basically like threatening the freshman quarterback, and it was it was people that were close to him, and it was like a really bad look for a head coach. But go figure. Yeah. Like that, it was emails and not like just these threatening text messages. Like, oh, I mean, it was it was the early two thousands. You can get away with a lot more back then. True, but I, at the same time, like it was a it was a it was a very national story, and it was not the best look for for Houston Nutt at the time. And go figure that somebody who you know was he, he was an Arkansas guy through and through, and it got so bad that he basically was like forced to leave at the end of it. Yeah, and then somehow immediately got a job at Ole Miss. Almost maybe a little desperate. Maybe yeah, a little, I would agree. Bit. But like, but he he had. I think that that two thousand nine Ole Miss team with Jevin Sneed was a preseason top five team. I mean, Houston. He did things like he obviously was a a, a better coach. Than I'm giving him credit for. Like, he, I mean, he won some big games. He went to two SEC championships. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, I mean, and he got boat raced, and I think in both by by Georgia. But it's like, you know, he he once he beat some like some ranked teams, like some top ten teams. 
But it was like one of those things, as soon as they got there, it, it was like it was like somehow he tricked everyone into voting him as prom queen. And then right as he got like on like the stage, every time he got in like the top ten or something like that or top five, the lights came on. They're like, oh, hold on. Hold on a second. <laughs> that's two kids in a trench coat. That's some little rascal stuff. Like, how is this happening? But he always did just enough to get by. And he would always have that one <laughs> season to make you feel like, ah, yeah, maybe this guy can be, he can be, he can be the guy. I feel pretty good about this. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, the breakout performers. Oh, in hold this on, game, real quick with the directors. One thing, and he's not, I don't think he's, he's coaching in the SEC now, but uh, freshman quarterback on Arkansas's roster was Rhett Lashley. So, not technically a director, more of a prominent extra. One sure. Would say. Did you have him as a prominent extra? I didn't have him as a prominent oh, extra. Okay, well, so that's good. Either way, uh, that's a good one too. Uh, who's Rhett Lashley, Lashley is now um, offensive coordinator at SMU, correct? I have no idea. I believe he is the off. Yeah, I think that's that's his title. Uh, the former Gus Malzahn disciple, of course. Um, the breakout performers in this game, there were two that were pretty obvious, and they were both the tailbacks. But so uh, Corey Birmingham. Great SEC name, by the way. Fantastic there were some good SEC names name. in this. Great, great names. He was actually a receiver, but he played running back because of injuries. Cedric Hobbs was uh, essentially out in this game. He was very limited, only had a few carries in this yeah. one. So all the Corey Birmingham did was have 40 carries for 196 yards, two touchdowns. Get this. So he had 184 rushing yards in his career heading into this night. And 12 he carries. surpassed that. Yeah. Uh, he had was 12 just, total carries going into this game. At one point, every time they're like, his 37th carry of the night. Like, like oh, what? okay. I guess yeah, this is, this is happening lot. now. But that's how banged up Arkansas was at, at running back and didn't know this until the very end of the, the broadcast that he was also cousins with Jason Peters. So, fun oh, fact there. Fun. Well, and Kentucky had four cousins on their own team. They kept saying that. I, I, like, I don't care. I, I, I guess I just I threw mean, out that nugget, so I care a little bit. But At some point through the broadcast, you gotta you got to start throwing out some – those fun facts came in handy late. But, I mean, I forgot <clears> – and <throat> we'll talk about more about this later, but, like, you know, he's replacing Cedric Cobbs, who was a first-team All-SEC running back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rare five-year starter, um, which yeah. doesn't happen very <laughs> often. Um, the other one on the opposite side – Alex, I'm going to say his last name. Or they called him. They called him Alex on the broadcast, I believe. But his name is listed as Alexis Begingi. Is that how you say it? Don't look at me. I don't know. It, his name is spelled B W E N G E, and it was pronounced like Begingi. So Buffalo Wild Wing. I I I don't know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna botch that. Uh, I'm just gonna call him A B. Um, going into this game, Kentucky's leading rusher was the backup quarterback. So that just told you about Kentucky's rushing attack or lack thereof. Dude, that was the worst part. That was yeah. that when like you really you really got a feel for like it was all Jared Lorenzen oh, yeah. on that team. Like yeah. you had Derek Abney, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but like it was all Jared Lorenzen. They they had no they had no rushing attack at all. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. And to his credit though, Gingy was actually pretty good in this game. He had more rushing yards in this game, 89 than any of his three seasons. So, like, he totaled 75 yards in, in, like, his senior year. But in this game, he had 89 rushing yards. He had three total touchdowns. He also had that 51-yard touchdown catch, um, which sort of got Kentucky going. But, yeah, the breakout performers, I I didn't think that there were a ton because breakout performer, I tend to look at as, like, oh, this was their coming out party, and then they were really good after. These guys were kind of just, like, good in this game, and then they went back to kind of doing what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. George Wilson had, I mean, well, he had a pretty good season. He had 900 yards receiving that year. 
Yeah, I put him easy. as an A-lister just because he was yeah. so good in this game, and he was like pretty decent throughout the year. But but he had uh, a, over a fourth of his catches, over twenty five percent of his right. overall catches of the season were in this game. Yeah. Um. And and, and that was weird too. <clears throat> like rewatching this because I, I always thought, I always thought they had a lot more receivers than than I saw in this game. But I mean, I guess with Birmingham having to play running back because I mean Cedric Cobbs, Cedric Cobbs was a, a thirteen hundred yard rusher. Like he was he was legit. He was a five star on the Forest Davis recruitment. Oh, was he? Yeah, that's right. Um, but I mean, yeah, that was. I was kind of surprised about that. It just <laughs> their their offensive attack on both sides was it left a lot to be desired. The prominent extras. I only have one for this category, and maybe that's partially why I put him here <laughs> instead of somewhere else. Jason Peters. So Jason <sighs> Peters, if you haven't seen the picture or what he looked like, you need a little refresher. Go back and just just Google Jason Peters' tight end, or I tweeted out a picture of him because he's 320 pounds in this game, and he looks it. He's number 80, and that is the biggest person I've ever seen wearing a number in the 80s, hands down, not even close. Who was the kid from Baylor a couple years ago? <clears throat> oh, uh, was it um, was it Oakman, the guy who was like... Uh, no, no, not Oakman. That, I mean, that guy was a monster. He was scary. Um, yeah, he was scary. But, uh, that was like one of my favorite players before all that stuff came out. But like... No, there was they had a they had a tight end and it was like in the Cotton Bowl and he was like 380 pounds. That's uh, just this is about what this looked like. I mean, this this is about what that looked like. So Jason Peters, I put in the prominent extras as opposed to the A-listers because in this game he only officially recorded one catch. Now he did have a, a prayer of a two-point conversion, but so in this game. Um, the, t- the one catch that he actually recorded was a typical, like, Matt Jones is backpedaling 20 yards, and this, oh this is in the second overtime. And it looks like a prayer. Keep in mind, Kentucky had already scored and converted the two-point conversion. If Matt Jones doesn't convert this, the game is over and ends in the second overtime. And somehow, he throws it to Jason Peters, who had already dropped, like, two balls to that point. And you're just like, why is this guy playing tight end? He's an offensive lineman, clearly. Right. Um, and he somehow catches this 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 pass, and the game continues. You're just like, of course, that that would happen right here, right now. But um, just kind of a bizarre thing. So he only he he ended up being a second team All SEC tight end, but he had 21 catches for 218 yards and four touchdowns. That's not exactly like oh no. he's really lighting up <clears throat> light or blowing up the stat sheet with numbers like that. Obviously, a block first tight end, and we know what happened with the rest of his career, of course. Right, and and there's one thing we'll get to here. <clears throat> I think like I actually it makes sense we can talk about it now. Going again back to why Houston Nut was just abysmal in in this game and in general. At one point in like the second overtime, it's it's I think third and goal from the two yard line. I think it's third and goal from the two yard line, and Houston Nut. Where am I at here? Houston Nut. Oh yes, yes, yes. I'm glad you're bringing this up. I know exactly he, what you're gonna say. He brings in an extra offensive guard. Who hadn't played the entire game for an unbalanced line, or as as Danielson would say, an unbalanced line, and brings him in again, third and two on the two yard line, and they're losing at this point. This is, you know what? This is the play before the Jason Peters touchdown. It's the oh, second okay. overtime. So right before he catches that touchdown pass, they bring in this this extra guard who hasn't played the entire game, and he flinches and gets a false start. So now it's third and third and goal from the seven yard line, and that's what led to. Matt Jones backpedaling for 13 yards, throwing a ball off his back foot, and Jason Peters somehow coming down with it. 
Just put Jason Peters on the offensive line. Can you imagine like that? Like if you had a left tackle and left guard, or even a left tackle and right tackle of Sean Andrews and Jason Peters. I mean, it'd be uh, the Eagles did that, and they were both All Pro yeah, guys. Exactly. Jason, Jason Peters. Yeah. Jason Peters went undrafted and became obviously an All Pro, you know, perennial, like unbelievable offensive tackle in the NFL. But there were still like just moments in this game where they kept they kept hyping up his athleticism, and I, and I know it was there. Like they said on the broadcast, they're like, you know, um, he actually has good hands and he runs really well. And apparently, you know, um, Nolan Richardson wanted him on the basketball team at 295. He could throw down. Like this guy was just an extraordinary athlete for his size. We talk a lot about Lorenzen in this game and how athletic he was for this size. Like Peters was that guy, but. There are still moments where you're like, okay, this should not be happening. In the fifth, in the fifth overtime, this is Houston Nuts' brilliance in this game. The fifth overtime, Matt Jones calls calls for, to to have a guy in motion, and it's Jason Peters is like, all right, I'm gonna split out wide, and he lays down on the ground, <laughs> and they attempt to run a fade to him, and within like two seconds, he can't even like, Jason Peters like just falls in the end zone, and it's two Kentucky defenders have a play on it, and they probably could have picked this ball off. But he couldn't even. He didn't even attempt to make a play on it. Just imagine the logic behind. You know what we're gonna do with Jason Peters? We're gonna split him out wide, out wide, and we're gonna run this fade to him. That's how we feel like we're gonna maximize. Uh, we're gonna have our best chance to win, like a, you know, two yards out or whatever it was. I, exactly. Exactly. Like the reason he went undrafted. This is like if if a player ends up making it to like major leagues and it was like well, how come no one saw this he wasn't he wasn't drafted out of high school he is a walk on in college I'm like oh well, his high school coach didn't realize he was left-handed the whole time he just had him pitching right-handed like it it is mind blowing that they were, like it, there's no way he didn't have another serviceable tight end there's right. no way you didn't have another guy on that roster that could have gotten 21 catches for 218 yards in the season but ends up being probably the the best undrafted SEC player ever in the NFL. I mean, I think that's a title that that he probably holds. Like that's that's an yeah, unbelievable feat to be 37 years old and still playing at, at an elite level in the NFL. And obviously, he's maybe not as good as he was in his All Pro days. But I mean, somebody who's still him important. To tight end. Yeah, they're gonna let him, him and Zach Ertz <laughs> motion him out wide, double tight end set. Let's let's do it. Um, um, Kentucky only had one extra for me. Like so, all Arkansas did have seven All SEC players. Like as much as we're like joking around about. Um, how bad Houston Nut was with this team. They but did like down, yeah. Tony Bua, I remember he was he was really good. They had Jed leading Huckham. tackler, 185 pounds, leading tackler on that yeah. team. I mean he was he was a headhunter, man. Tony Bua was really good. Um, Ahmad Carroll, which we'll talk about later. That that was Ahmad Carroll. Batman Carroll was one of the biggest recruits to ever come out of the city of Atlanta, and I was so excited. To, like like I thought he was gonna be a lot better than he was. But yeah, him, Cedric Cobb, Jason Peters, and then there was a, one player for Kentucky. I, honestly, like Abney. I think should I, I had him in my A listers like not in this game but just in general because he was he was outside of Lorenzen he was their only offense right um, and he was a really good receiver but the other one is I forgot his last name but Sweet P something sure he was he was the defensive lineman he led the SEC in, oh, in tackles he, for yeah, loss yeah tackles for loss that's right he had, yeah. he was like a monster in this game but it was it's it, it's a game in 2003 so he had several tackles for a loss where he like got in the backfield, grabbed the running back strictly by his shoulder pads. Horse like collar. Horse completely. collar. It just brings him straight down. Like, nobody broke a leg, but it was like, man, football is different. Yeah, it's like that, that would be flagged. That would be 15 yards, and it would be very frustrating probably. Yeah. Um, the majority of his tackles, I think, in that game. Before we go to the story arc, let's talk about quickly about our Facebook group. If you are listening to all of our It Just Meant More 
episodes, you should also be a member of our Facebook group. Yeah, that's right. The Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. It's where we throw out a lot of our discussion topics. Maybe we'll even pick your brains and see what we should do for our next It Just Meant More, which I think this is going to be the last one that we're doing in the off season, but we still are going to get a lot of ideas um, to do for next year when we fire that series back up. But yes, make sure that you're definitely joining our Facebook group. Make sure that you're commenting, staying involved. It's a great place that we can just talk about a lot of different college football things. We get fans that post a lot of different you know, discussion topics and people that make fun of other fan bases, Florida and Georgia fans play nice please uh, but yes make sure that you join our new facebook group the saturday non south podcast on facebook all right back to the pod there were so many good lines from this broadcast your favorite line from the broadcast i've got like eight i mean that, yeah, that was the best part tough. of the whole thing um <laughs> so houston nut has only has only lost four in a row once at arkansas that was pretty good um the ref when they're starting overtime says this might have been like one of the coldest takes i guess but he was like if we have to go to a second overtime you guys will switch and it was like (laughs) oh if if um there was a story they kept referencing about lorenzen in the off-season program where he lost 13 pounds and i was like wow that's pretty good in the off-season like 13 pounds over summer good for him no it was 13 pounds in one workout because he threw up four times um let's see here Curry, so, so Bill Curry is like one of my favorite people in in all of college football. Always has been. He he really? wrote, yeah. He's he's like such a good, and he's like he's got that whole southern, that whole he's a very good person. Um, he's got that whole didn't, didn't come across that in this game. I'll really? Be honest. Yeah. Oh, he. I, I mean, he, he was did. he's funny for sure. He, Bill Curry wrote a handwritten letter to my grandpa when he when he fell at like. Uh, and shattered his elbow, and I guess like they had somehow knew each other from some long, long time ago, and he had caught wind of it, and out of nowhere, just wrote a, a get well soon handwritten card to my grandpa, like, and we were not boosters; it made no sense. I don't know how this happened, but he just he was a, a very, very good dude, because um, he was the head coach at Bama and the head coach at Tech and Georgia State, but and Kentucky and Kentucky, yeah. So he he <laughs> he had he had that. He made some comment. Um, he was telling the story about. Uh, the 2001 seven overtime game between Ole Miss and Arkansas, and he brings up Mike Golick and how Mike Golick Jr., oh, yeah. who was he's like, hey, like the game's still going on. He was like 11 at the time. Um, and then my my favorite, I think, is when he said <laughs> he said, uh, yeah, you're not allowed to punch him in the throat, and that was <laughs> that was his it's like his reaction to a pass interference call in the first overtime. Carroll, yeah, yeah. So that was those um, were mine. Yeah, Bill Curry was he he, he was electric. Um, so on the first play from scrimmage, it's um, the announcer for this game was uh, Dave Barnett. That was the play-by-play guy. Yeah, and uh, he said, you know, he's telling the story about how you know Jared Lorenzen's got all these nicknames, and that at oh, the yeah. time, at the time, Jared Lorenzen liked J Lo. Right, and then um, so he says because he figures if we use it enough, someday she will have to meet me. Um, Jerry Lorenzen, like, I don't know if you ever met J-Lo, but I hope that that nickname was more than just like yeah. a, like a two week thing, but his nicknames, I mean, if you include that one, four nicknames, the Hefty Lefty, Pillsbury Throwboy, Battleship Lorenzen, and then J-Lo, of course, yeah. P- power rank Jared Lorenzen's nicknames. Pillsbury Throwboy is one of the best nicknames of all time. That's, that's just incredible. 
Hefty Lefty's good, but like Pillsbury Throwboy is, man. In a time it, before hashtags and, and and puns became popular, that was that was great. That was really good. Yeah, the Hefty Lefty is the one that lives on. That's the one that he ultimately um, became known for in his post playing yeah. days. But the Pillsbury, yeah, Pillsbury Throwboy is just so, so good. good. Uh, J Lo is, you know. That's just not not as original. It, it no. was the early 2000s thing. Remember when everybody was doing that for their last name? I was always a little bit upset that I had the apostrophe. I couldn't really do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everybody was doing that. Like you would have been like Seymour. That's literally what my that's what my Seymour <laughs> was my nickname in high school. It was my like there I think go. it's still my my Yahoo username or something stupid. Like that sounds right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that was I thought that was pretty good. I think I can't believe you didn't realize Curry was a a, a good dude. Well, he did not have the best broadcast. So the other thing, the other line that he had, line that definitely would not fly in 2019. So they they cut to a shot. It's during overtime, and they cut to a shot of these two Arkansas fans. They look like they're college age females, and um, they both have hog noses on. And so Bill Curry says, "Why, if you're a beautiful girl like that, would you put a hog nose on?" I didn't think that was that bad. Okay, so, I mean, the problem being, like, all right, so if you're an ugly person, you can put a hog nose on, but if you're pretty, you can't? Like, I mean, that's uh, also fair. Not, I, not the, he would have gotten roasted in, in 2019 Twitter, would have, would have had some Oh, yeah. That. Well, I mean, I mean, Bill Curry, so I, I don't think he got away with one here, but, like, Bill Curry was, like, we talk about, like, a good dude. Like, he got, he got wronged in so many ways. Like, when he, he was the coach. Remember the, the, the Tony Barnhart story about the 89 Iron Bowl when they played oh, it yeah, all yeah. for the first time? Bill Curry was the coach at Bama. That was his third season. They ranked second in the country, and they lost. And by the time the team got back home, somebody had parked a moving truck in front of his house, and then like like they didn't ransack his house, but like threw like rocks and bricks and, and crap through his window, and like trashed the outside of his house. He Might was be a, too much. He was a really really good dude. He like he was the one. He was the first coach ever at Georgia State. Came out of retirement for that. Okay, uh, fair enough. You're, you're talking me into it a little bit. I more. I would have let the hognose thing pass. I mean, he he was just he was funny, man. Like he he had he had one comment. And he was like, "Yeah, so and so is out there looking for a piece of his uh, his equipment, if you know what I mean." Because he's like he got juked out of his jock. Um, oh yeah, that yeah. was a pretty good call. He he was I I I enjoyed like he he seemed like the kind of guy that could like sit there for hours and hours and and he wouldn't bore you and could continue to tell stories. He also had my coldest take of the broadcast. Ooh. This line was great. So he says, Rich Brooks is out there. And this is, okay, so a little context here. There, It was like the first quarter of this game, and there was a flag called on the punt. Uh, it was like a punt return in the first quarter. Interference, you know, somebody interfered yeah. with the returner in one of those situations. And so Bill Curry says, Rich Brooks is out there arguing he got pushed into the returner. It does not matter. Does not matter. So he's Halo basically rule. saying like, yeah, yeah. So then the ref waves off the flag, right. <laughs> and he says because the defender was pushed into the returner, and then Bill Curry says it does matter, as I was saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't take himself. He so said great. something about the. Uh, he was like, y'all, the fans can boo all you want. I don't know why you're booing. It's a good call or something like that. And then he was like, like he goes the opposite way. Whatever he said, that was <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was good. Um, not the best look. Clearly, did not know the rule book. Did not understand that. Yeah, you know, they you can't just push they had somebody just in there. changed the Halo rule. And and I like I, I remember hearing that and I I I don't know what it could have been from, like like what what could they have changed it to? Because it was basically like if you get pushed into the runner, it I I don't know I don't know what they could have changed it from. But he he was like 
Yeah, that's a new rule. He, and he said something later, too. I forgot what the call was. It was like, oh, so this is this, – this will come up later in like when the team blew it, in my opinion. But there was a substitution infraction. And he was like, of course. you don't have to like it, but that's the rule. Like, it doesn't make sense, but that's the rule. And I was like, do you know the rule? Yeah, do you know? I'm not sure you do. Um, yeah, and then the other cold take that I thought um, from Dave Barnett. So they did, like, one of those coming back from commercial shots, and they're showing the sideline or whatever. And um, Tommy Cook, like, they just uh, – Kentucky – I think he's – yeah, he was a re- – yeah, Tommy Cook was a receiver. And uh, they show him on the sideline. He's got, like, eye black on or whatever. Like, pretty – Typical look, I thought. And uh, Dave Barnett says, yeah, it's Halloween. It was November 1st. Uh, but <laughs> but nobody needs that much eye black. Tommy Cook went overboard. And like within probably like three or four years, everybody basically yeah. wore that much eye black. That was, so fair. that was a little bit of a, of a cold take. Fun fact, though, about Tommy Cook. Did not realize this until I Googled him. Kentucky fans are probably like, yeah, of course we knew this. This is his claim to fame. Tommy Cook's future wife at that point ended up having an affair with Dale, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and is now currently married to Dale Earnhardt Jr. Who is Tom? So, what? Good for yeah. you. Yeah, so he was basically pushed aside for for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, my my high school girlfriend, and, and and we dated my freshman year, cheated on me with no Sean Moreno. But the, that's, yeah, that's cool. It's I mean, it wasn't at all. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. Not looking back now, something. yeah. Um, well, that's, so my coldest take was, and this isn't even that much of a cold take, but um, it, I, I, whoever it was, it would you say the other the other announcer's name was? So it was Dave Barnett. Dave was Barnett the, was the play-by-play man. So and I feel like he was on JP Sports like a lot too, Jefferson Pilot Games. I could be wrong, but Dave Barnett at one point he said he said this, and there was just so much like like I don't want to say subversive, but there was so much meaning to it that I don't think he knew at the time. And he said. Um, UK forced this with a ten point fourth quarter, and it was like. You know, like, man, th- th- this is how we got here. Like, what a miraculous comeback. And, like, they forced this overtime. But it, it almost seemed like it was like, you did this to yourself, Kentucky. You <laughs> you brought this. You're the reason we're still here right you're, now. Yeah, and, like, and like you're the reason why you're going to have so much heartache in about, I don't know, two and a half hours once the next five overtimes play out. Um, yeah, there there was definitely some cold take. There's always going to be cold takes in a seven overtime game. I mean, I'm not acting like that's just, is there, you know. Is it me or is there, like, a crazy amount of... Of uh of overtime games like like way more overtime games back then. Cause you had, like the two thousand one. I know I know that sounds dumb because LSU and AM just played a seven overtime game, but like the two thousand one game between Arkansas and Ole Miss this season. Uh, I, I want to say Kentucky. Wait, hold on. Arkansas had played Bama in a two overtime game. I think Bama played like a five overtime game at Tennessee. There was another overtime game Kentucky had against against Louisville. Um, I, I don't know. It seemed like there was a lot a, a lot of overtimes. Go figure too that the overtime rules are are now are now different, obviously, in the wake of the LSU AM game. And on the fifth overtime, it basically just turns into two point conversions back and forth. So instead of lining up on the Cage 25, match. yeah, it, and it's essentially do or die back and forth, which is probably an overdue thing once you get yeah. to the fifth overtime. But yeah, things are a little bit different with that now. The Jadavian Clowney reminder that normal human beings don't play this sports. You know, I, I went with a hefty lefty for a variety yeah. of reasons here. There were so many different sequences where you're just like, this dude is ridiculous. He is insane. He is so much fun to watch. Anybody that is not, you know, that doesn't have a rooting interest in this game could watch Jared Lorenzen right. and be like, I want this guy to win. Without a doubt. So, so the sequence that he had at the end of the fourth quarter was perfect. 
He drops back, and I swear, he threw this ball like 95 miles an hour. It's like the hardest ball I've ever seen right. thrown. And he throws it right at Derek Abney, like right in the chest. And they even said on the broadcast, I think Bill Curry said, yeah, you put it right between the one and the two. And I guarantee, like, knocked the wind out of him. And Abney had just dropped a ball on, like, the play before, yeah. like a bad drop. And there was a little bit of extra mustard behind that one for sure. So the very next play after that rocket that Lorenzen throws – he drops back with two minutes left, and he throws this 45-yard dime on the right sideline to Bernard. And this, this this pass is just like the, it's the perfect like you know little floated in. Like yeah. he is the ultimate. You know he's got the the juice. He's got the touch. He's got he's got everything that you could want. And so then he has um, this throw where there it's like a third and goal or second and goal, something like that. And he has two rushers that are just coming straight at him. I mean, the, uh, untouched. And he does this little pump fake, and that's enough. And he gets around him, and he finds this angle to throw, and he gets it to Bernard again um, for for the game tying touchdown in that spot. Just made made the entire sequence look like it was backyard football. That's what it looked like the entire yeah. game that he played. No, that's fair. Um, so I had him. Obviously, this this is like it's tough not to choose him for this. Like the normal human beings, like the the play this game. Like so th- there was multiple times. This this was like a staple throughout his career. Like where we talk about like the Matt Jones thing where he it seemed like he was just constantly backpedaling and then would throw up his back foot. Lorenzen was like, the same way kind of, but instead of backpedaling, he would just stand still. Yep. And, and then like like you like there was there was one play in the fifth overtime one. Is that there, so I have that one as well, but there's one play in the first quarter where he's being taken down like like the, the Kentucky's going left to right on your screen mm-hmm. and he's he's like trying to twirl out of like a, a sack and he twirls like I guess like to his left, right? So he's facing his face is like looking at the end zone and he's twirling back towards the field of play and he sees this running back and just like overhand darts like like backhands a ball oh, right to him and it's like a 9-yard gain. You're like, "What in that?" Or like it was, I think it actually was like like 15-yard gain for the first time. I was like, "What in the hell just happened?" Like, like no you no cannot throw a ball that. like that. Like I don't like that's it was it was like you're throwing darts but like if you were again like also doing like the whirly like dizzy bat challenge like while you're doing yeah. it and then the one in the fifth overtime so <laughs> this is this the safety for arkansas beasley i don't know his first name jimmy beasley yeah. jimmy beasley. so he comes free and this is like that water boy moment where it's like like he is coming <laughs> there's and it's on his blind side and and there's it like Renzen doesn't see him he's about to get hit and he doesn't. He didn't move. Like he, he's a statue. It was. It was like if you're playing in the backyard with like your dad or something like that. Yep. And you're like trying to like like tackle his leg, and it's like okay, this is nothing. This is nothing to me. And then he just stands still, and like fires off a little dart to. I think it was a tight end. And it's a nine yard gain. And it should yeah, have been like easy. a seven or eight yard loss at a minimum. And it just ends up being like a quick, easy nine yard gain. Like it did nothing to him. There was no oh, reason to ever blitz it was amazing. him. So the 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 irony of that, and, and as we talk about Lorenzo and his ability to just shake off defenders, whether they're they're seen and they're you know, or whether they're untouched, just didn't matter. He of course was responsible for Eli Manning having that the moment of his career with the David Tyree catch in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because they used to practice that all the time. Jared Lorenzen told the story about how he used to basically just wrap up Eli in practice and he would be like, All right, try and get away from me, try and make a play happen. And that was what he was so good at, you know, on the opposite side of that, of course. So it's 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 fascinating to watch the way that he could just shake off defenders because, you know, he's at a minimum two hundred and eighty pounds in this. And that 
I think, you know, as much as we talk about how amazing of a feat that, that it is, you notice very late in this game, and they bring it up on the broadcast, he is absolutely gassed at the end of this oh game. They talk, they keep talking about the offseason conditioning, but at 280 pounds and being asked what he was asked to do, he just doesn't have it. He's running on empty for a lot of this. And yeah. even, you know, he caps off the fifth overtime with that rushing TD, and, and they keep talking about the you know the 13 pounds he lost in the offseason workout, and then they have the line on the broadcast where they're like, he probably lo- he's probably lost about 15 tonight. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. The, 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 the steps that he had <laughs> in that night was... Unbelievable, and they even said um, it's like we're in Jared Lorenzen's backyard in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Yeah, that's what it felt like. That's for, that's a pretty cool quote. That should have been one of our quotes. Oh, um, would have been good. Yeah, but no, I mean, like it was, it was, it was bizarre because you're looking at this thing like these are two average teams. These are two very average teams, and played very average football played, at best. Yeah, exactly. But it was, you know, it's weird when you look at this game. Like anytime you have a seven overtime game, you obviously are going to have some skewed numbers and some skewed stats, right? But like, I'm trying to think, hold on one second. So I'm trying to think here, Arkansas had for the season, I know they gave up 23 points per game or something like that, right? So for their entire season, they gave up 305 points. <laughs> a quarter of that was in this game. In this game, yeah, um, that skewed everything. But like when you look at the, the stats, like in in the actual game itself, like it, they kept showing it. It'd be like like the third overtime, and it's like total yards, Arkansas five hundred and two, and they're and they're not passing the ball. Like it's right, they're just right. running the football down their throat with a backup running back. And Kentucky it had like three hundred and twenty total yards. Like it was, it's bizarre how we even got here. You know what I mean? Like, if you have only 320 total yards of offense and you're in the third overtime, how are you in the game? Yeah, Kentucky, it felt like, was was fortunate to get to overtime. And then it felt like that totally shifted in the overtime period. Like, Kentucky was just destined to win. You're like, all right. It's, and it was almost a little bit of the, the old, when you're the home team and playing in extra innings in baseball. Yeah. I always think the home team is going to win every extra inning games. They get the last laugh. And obviously it's different like that in college football. But it just felt like every time Arkansas was having to match Kentucky. And it was always like, all right, Kentucky's the one applying the pressure. And they have to get this big stop. And then they don't. And they show the people in the end zone. And they just like put their heads down basically right behind where the goalpost is on that wall right there. And you're just like so sad for them so watching sad. this. Um, did you have any others for the um, Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal human beings don't play this sport? No, but just I want to throw out one more thing uh, that um, Sean Andrews had three separate uh, offensive attempts throughout the season. Houston Nutt is the worst coach ever. What did he attempt to do? Rushes? I don't know. Or receive? He th- I mean, I I don't know. I don't, for Jurator Perry for three the, total yards. Back. I mean, I don't. Anyway. But yeah, that, that's that's the only one I had for for that. The Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. This is somebody I think you're going to have some stories for. Ahmad Carroll, the Arkansas cornerback, unbelievable athlete, unbelievable I mean, athlete, ridiculous. Ran a four three four at the combine, forty one inch vertical. He was on the Arkansas track team. He set a record for the the sixty. He ran it in six point six seven seconds. He was actually really good in, in regulation. He had this this textbook breakup in the end zone where it was just like, okay, that's going on as NFL draft film. You know that. Um, but they also showed during the broadcast that during the week he wore oven mitts in practice because they were trying to get him to stop holding. It 
needless to say, it did not work because no. he, had three, he had three penalties that night. And so uh, in his career, he ends up, you know, because of probably a lot of because of what he did in the combine, like he, he, he obviously had a lot of success at Arkansas, but that was still a lingering issue. He gets drafted in the first round by the Packers, but he was cut in the middle of his third season. Why was he cut, you ask? Because he had a game in the middle of that third season where he had three penalties and he got burned on two touchdowns. So he they was cut immediately yeah. like right after that. It's and like then kicker. he was just he was just never able to to rebound. But somebody who's from Atlanta, and I'm hoping that you have an Ahmad Carroll story. I don't see I don't have an Ahmad Carroll story because he was two thousand one. So he was he was well before my time. He went to Douglas High School. I remember though, and again, we we've talked about this. Um I brought this up on the last I think it just meant more episode. I was talking about like the, the recruiting show that I'd watch every Saturday morning. It's a, and I couldn't remember the name of it then. It's it was called Countdown to Signing Day with Jamie Newberg. And Ahmad Carroll was one of the premier athletes in in the country coming out of high school that year. How could he not be with those? Numbers? So, like, it, this is literally what it says in this recruiting angle. It says runs a ten four one in the hundred meters, state champion in the hundred in Georgia, and state record holder holder. Whether on defense or offense, Ahmad is extremely aggressive. Which is uh, yeah, yep, a little um, bit. true impact player. I mean, yeah, he was a legit four three guy, and this is at a time when it's like. These, these, like, like the athletes twenty years ago weren't all running. Like, you had a four-five guy; it was basically a four-six guy or a four-seven guy. This is a legit four-three speed. I remember him going to Arkansas. And I was so surprised. Like, why the hell is he going to Arkansas? He's from Atlanta. I mean, like, and Georgia had at the time. Like, this is when Mark Richt is there, and he's starting to get like these like legit, you know, like five-star athletes and have these like crazy good defenses and, and going on their first like championship runs. It made no sense to me why he chose Arkansas. But it also, I felt like he was completely like underutilized while he was there. Like he he wasn't really an impact in, you know, in the return game, which made no sense to me. Like, I, why would you not have him returning punts or kicks? Like he he was early in his career, but that that was kind of surprising to me. And it was it was one of those things where it's like they always have that old adage of like you can't teach speed, which is true. True. But what you should be able to teach is like technique and how to defend. Properly, because that that is one of the I, I'm looking at like like the, the the all SEC or the all South team whatever, and in the secondary with him is Antrell Roll. Oh, Miami, yeah. great. Yeah. It's, so tough. it's like I mean, he obviously was very, very, very like you know highly sought after. I don't know. I don't get it, man. I don't, I don't know how he. <laughs> just don't. I don't get how he couldn't have panned out. Um, but yeah, that's. I don't have any good stories for you, but well, that's. The- the the problem with somebody like him is they see those those things those unteachable things and they yeah. see all right we'll do things like we'll put oven mitts on him in practice right. we'll do whatever we can but he's a conditioning I expert <laughs> I guarantee you they looked um, when when they did like the the draft evaluations the very first thing in every single negative draft evaluation about him what are his weaknesses yeah handsy was the first word in every oh, single sure. one there's just no way and he they showed him one time where like he did draw a pass interference penalty or it was even a holding penalty i think because he was just blatantly grabbing jersey and you're like dude why, why are why are you debating this this is this is like you're playing you Kentucky, play for sir. How long? Yeah, you're playing Kentucky. Like there's like, and again, like that was a good defense. Like Tony Bua, they. they this is also at a time I remember. This is off off topic, of course. But there was they had a linebacker. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. They had a linebacker for Arkansas, and his last name was Ol- Olajibuti. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was there for a couple more years after that because he was only, I think he was only like a, a, he was definitely an underclassman for this game. I think he was on that team that had the 2005 team when McFadden and Felix Jones were freshmen. Right. So he was a linebacker for him. And I just remember at the time, Ola Djibouti was playing for Arkansas. And then Auburn had two receivers named Ben Obamanu and Devin Aromashadu. And I was like, I cannot, like, like I could not keep up with it. I, I, Aromashadu was a stud with the Bears for that very brief They were all, time. three of them were really good. But it was, I mean, it, it, what, a, what a year for names in this. Like, Sweet P. Johnson? Jeez, incredible. That's just, that's so Southern it hurts. Yeah. The, did you have any others for um, the Trent Richardson? Can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. There weren't that many in, like, there in weren't. the game. It, it yeah. was it was kind of sad to see. I mean, like it, there really wasn't that many misses. Yeah. Uh, the thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching this game <laughs> for me, this was the I didn't I didn't realize or know that this was the third year in a row that Arkansas played in a game with at least six overtimes. That's what so I'm saying. So as you talk about, yeah, there were so many overtimes in this period. In 2001, they played in a seven-overtime game against Ole Miss. They won that. In 2002, they played in a six-overtime game against Tennessee. They lost that. Kentucky, on the other on the other hand, this was the third overtime game in Kentucky history. Yeah. Just overtime game, not six well, they only, overtimes. They only started doing overtime in, like, what, like three, four years prior to this? No, in 97, they said I know they played Bama in overtime. Oh gosh, okay. That's yeah. something I didn't re- they, remember. They kept until saying that this. they were like, like they kept saying early on in the broadcast, they were like, "Man, Arkansas's been here before. You got to wonder if the experience will pay off." And it was like, "Shut up!" Like it's just <laughs> like this is just because they played in seven overtimes two years ago right. does not mean like does what's Kentucky gonna do? Like their quarterback is like it's it, he's indestructible. First off, I mean, yeah, it, it, that that was an odd storyline. They kept saying like, "You got to wonder if it's." it's if being in these overtime games is going to, like, in the experience of it's going to pay off, like, no. No, everyone's yeah. tired. Um, yeah, then Arkansas, I didn't realize Arkansas had faced Eli Manning the week before that, and then Jared Lorenzen the week after. So a little, not, not really that interesting, but, you know, obviously both of them spent a lot of time together on the Giants. And then this is something that I, we, we need to talk about. So in the first overtime, the Kentucky kicker banks in the extra point Thank right you. off the post. And if he misses, it's over. And it was that close. Dude, it was most, that close. Most impressive, and I'm not saying this as a Bama fan. I'm saying this as somebody that would gets in their own head about every single thing in his life. Most impressive, physical, mental, emotional feat of this entire game is this kid banking home a, a kick in, in the first overtime. Unreal. Not even close. It's an extra point. And, then, and Bill, Bill Curry makes the comment. He goes, so-and-so, like the special teams coach, just lost seven pounds on the sideline. I don't even know what that was in reference to. But, like, for him to go bank in a an extra point in the first overtime and then proceed to make field goals and extra points yeah. in the game, like, I was like, what? Um, that was that was impressive. I, I bet That's you he could underrated. not wait to get to the third overtime. Oh, when, yeah. When he didn't no have to kick anymore. Yeah. yeah. But he, he hit the game-tying one. Uh, to go to the mm-hmm. fourth overtime, but yeah, that was that was crazy. I, I forgot, I just forgot that that Arkansas was perceivably good at this point. Like, like they they were ranked seventh in the, I'm sorry, ninth in the country. It, I think it was seventh. You keep saying ninth. I'm I looking right it at seventh. it. It was ninth. It was so again. They went. They they beat Tulsa, who's unranked. They're unranked to start the game. They go at Texas, who was ranked number six at the time. By the way, Texas, which like that is. Could not have gotten more of the benefit of the doubt that entire season. I don't know if you remember this, but they, they lose at home to Arkansas. They get beat 65-13 to like 13 against uh, Oklahoma. 
somehow still end up the season ranked number five in the country, but they're in the Holiday Bowl. Which is, that's yeah, a weird I'd thing say, in and of itself, like for, for football at the time. It was like, you're number five in the country and you're playing in the Holiday Bowl. Which yeah, is that was odd. like the, the, wait, who was even there? Washington Texas, State. Was, oh, that was Chris Sims. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. I tend to forget about the period between Ricky Williams and Vince Young. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, so, so Arkansas then plays North Texas, plays at Bama, comes back from 31 31 10. So they're 4 0 and they're ranked number nine in the country. Oh, no, you are right. You're right. They lost Thank when they were number you. seven. They lost when they were number seven. Okay, that's what I was Thank confused. You. Okay. So they play <laughs> they play Auburn on Jefferson Pilot as the number seven ranked team in the country. They play the 12 30 Jefferson Pilot game and lose three to 10. Yeah, lost three straight right after getting to number seven. In but the I mean, Houston Nutt, there's one thing you could say about Houston Nutt is that he will not lose four games in a row more than once in his career. He will only get that one chance to do that. I, I just thought, I did think it was interesting that, like, and we'll talk about more in a second, but, like, it, it, like in the, what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped, it was odd to see, th- it makes sense for how, like, the trajectory of each of these seasons went for each team. Yeah. But the year before, Arkansas lost to Kentucky at, at home and then and rips then off six straight games. Yeah, yeah, six straight wins. Um, But, yeah, so, like, I, so <laughs> what I have in my notes is things I don't remember until watching rewatching this game. Um, how great Bill Curry was was the very first thing I wrote down. <laughs> how how dumb Houston Nutt was, and then Jason Peters at tight end. Like I I I did forget how um, demoralizing the 2003 season for me personally was. That was my senior year of high school, and it was just I I just remember like my dad telling me stories about like he's like yeah you know I saw Bama win two national championships in the three years I was in high school, and. This was my senior year, and we went four and nine. It was just like, good God, that's depressing. Be Kentucky though. I was in eighth grade at the time, so fun, fun memories. Yeah. Uh, sick brag. So when did the losing team blow it? This, I uh, this one's easy. I okay, so I have an atypical answer for this. It's you're you're gonna you're gonna listen to this and say, well, obviously when you know Kentucky fumbled the ball in the seventh overtime and third I, third round the play before. No, so I actually have a play, a sequence in the third overtime. Kentucky had it second and goal from the two. Same exact thing. It's exactly what I wrote down. Good. Okay, so a touchdown would have won it. A field goal would have tied it because Arkansas got a field goal to start off the third overtime. Kentucky then, from that point, and this is Rich Brooks and his brilliance. Now listen up, guys. First and goal from the five-yard line, second and goal from the two. Second and goal from the two. The sequence of plays was run, run, fullback dive, get to the one, and then they were going to go for it in that moment and go for the win, but then they had a substitution violation because penalties. And then they ultimately kick a field goal to tie it. Jared Lorenzen from first and goal on the five doesn't get a chance to win that game. Exactly. That drives me bananas. I still have, like, when I, you know, I've, I've gone on my James Franklin is a, a terrible in-game decision yeah. maker soapbox. I've gone on that so many times because of how many times he took the ball out of Trace McSorley's hands. Don't take the ball out of Jared Lorenzen's hands. What are you doing, Rich Brooks? I'm yelling at the, I'm yelling at, at this YouTube video, like, 
why? Give give it to him. You gave it to him every moment before that. You give it to him every moment after that. And they try and get cute. And they run a little fullback dive, like decoy thing. And you're just like, no, this is horrible. This is this moment is meant for Jared Lorenzen playing backyard football, yeah. just like he always did throughout his entire game. You don't think Jared Lorenzen finds somebody in the back of the end zone and wins that game in heroic fashion? This is why you get disappointed because you do dumb things like that at key points of the game. Soapbox off. Every, every single... Uh, every single time you get into this situation now, it's like, yeah, you're probably going to get a little run-pass option here. Probably going to roll him out, give him a little run-pass option. He can, you know, have a guy run like, you know, have two guys coming across, I guess, in the end zone. I, I'm... This was the this was one of the dumbest play calls, because it, it wasn't just it wasn't just they took the ball out of his hands. And you're right, like the James Franklin thing is the perfect example from last year in that Ohio State game on fourth and five. But you go first and goal, and and again, I could be wrong with this. Who was the leading rusher for Kentucky in this game? Like how many yards did he have? Bagingi had like 89. Okay, so going into the second overtime, he had or like or maybe it's the start of overtime or something like that. I'm pretty sure it was in overtime. He had 12 carries for 41 yards. And yeah, they, they brought up the fact that it was like, yeah, it was like he's like, man, he's 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 been their bell cow, or he's like their leading rusher. It's like, no, they like they had no run game at all. Um, they lose like Artos Penner from the year before, who it was an NFL back that got drafted like from from the 2002 team. So you have you don't have a premier running back. It's not like you have like it's not like Arkansas where you have like. A, a really good first team LSC running back, even if he's hobbled, and then apparently eight receivers that you're going to put in, and maybe even a backup offensive guard you might put in and, and run the football. Mm-hmm. Instead, you go to the running back first play, down to the two-yard line, and then couldn't have been more bland with it. Like Because it was the, the overtime before the overtime after where they ran the option play. I think it was after. Like to yeah, perfection. No, it would have been before. I think it was before. Okay, so right if you before. have that play call in in your in like your playbook, why would you not let Jared Lorenzen run Make the option? Call, it's so dumb. So they, like I was most baffled and pissed off at the third and goal, or I'm sorry, because like second goal from the two, they ran off right guard, just a very vanilla play, right off right guard. But the third and goal, when you 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 split out two receivers like on like as far as possible, I think they might have had a tight end in, and you're in the I formation. And they run to the fullback. It's like, are you oh, kidding me? So frustrating. That was awful. And then, yeah, like you said, they they get to fourth and goal from the one, and and like the only way it could have been worse is if they decided to kick from the one. On fourth, I, yeah. I was irate watching it, and I was like, I knew I knew they kicked a field goal to obviously you know keep the game going, but I was like, I swear to God, if they take a penalty to move it back so they're in better range, I was, I'm gonna throw something to this TV. I also thought, so even despite the fact that that happened, Jared Lorenzen still comes out and he's still, you know, still is, is just balling in the fourth overtime. He gets the, the sneak, he holds the ball up, it's this great image, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, finally Kentucky has this. He hits Abney on the two-point conversion, the place is just going nuts, and Arkansas's defense looks absolutely gassed. So then, like, Arkansas marches right down the field and they get to the goal line, and Jones, Matt Jones fumbles on the goal line. It doesn't fall on the ball. And you're like, in that moment, when he's searching for it, you're thinking, okay, finally Kentucky got the break that it that that it needed, and Kentucky's going to win this game, and it's going to be over. But Matt Jones miraculously recovers this ball, and then they're down to their last snap. So this is the difference between, you, you can make the, the Houston nunchucks all you want, but this is the difference between like why Arkansas, I think, won this game and why Kentucky lost it. So we talk about taking the ball out of Jared Lorenzen's hands. 
Arkansas is down to their last snap on the fourth overtime. And what play call do they drop? They draw up a naked bootleg yeah, for Matt Jones. That's all they're that just like have figure it out. Kentucky. That's I mean, like, and then he scores on that. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Also, I just realized that that Houston Nutt, his entire personality is just gun safety, Dwight. <laughs> Howdy, folks! It's good. I'm pew, the root pew, 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 too. Pew. This. Yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> that is. I hate the fact that Tommy Tuberville got named Riverboat Gambler because Houston Nutt, that that nickname was made for him. But yeah, he, oh. I mean, he did he did do a better job uh, of of. That play call. Like that, I mean, this was this was a no-brainer. He's a senior. It's not like you didn't know what you had. Oh yeah, had to get the ball in that spot. That's that to me was when you, you said, all right, we're 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 settling here. We're, we're too afraid to lose this game. That's you got to go for the jugular. You get that touchdown in that spot. There's, you you got to be willing to take that chance. One of my favorite quotes of all time for football is from Gene Stallings, and he said it. I think in the '92 Sugar Bowl National Championship, and he said they went for it on fourth and one like early. And he was like, if you don't, if you can't get one yard, you don't deserve to win the game. And it, that's what was like ringing through my head when they got fourth and one on the one yard line. But you're Kentucky. You've seen now, this is what overtime? The third overtime, Connor. So you've seen through 60 minutes of football and two overtimes that your run game is not the answer unless you get a little creative. And you're like, you know what? No, run it again. <laughs> like, what? What? Okay. Frustrating. Frustrating. Um, so what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? This, this is, is tough my least favorite sh- question. Yeah, This. so this is tough because usually when we're talking about this, it's two teams maybe with championship aspirations, and we can do a lot of fun, like, connect the dots type things. Yeah. This one's a little bit different. Um, so maybe we get to see Hefty Lefty in a bowl game, which we never got to see throughout his college career. And obviously, like, that's crazy. Really- it's it's still something where how, how big would it really have you know meant for his legacy? Not that much because he was still a legend at Kentucky, and it's no guarantee that they would have even gotten there because there was this was a four win team. Kentucky never won another game after that. Jared Lorenzen never got to win another game at Kentucky. They had Vanderbilt. They, they actually did have a bye week the next week, which benefited them, I'm sure. Oh, coming how off this did game. they lose? And then they lose to Vanderbilt, and then they finish the season with two top ten opponents in Georgia and Tennessee, and they're not able to to get to the postseason. But um, so, I mean, may, that's the only thing I could really think of for Kentucky. Like this didn't change that much. No, they would have gone, they would have gone to a bowl game. I think they would have won that I, Vanderbilt they, game. With the way, like with the way that Derek Abney and the way that Jared Lorenzen approached this game, because I mean, you got to think like after the Florida game and, and I think after the Carolina game, they had like a come to Jesus meeting with, with the team. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and keep in mind, Arkansas is reeling. Okay. Arkansas has lost three, three in games a in a row. They don't have a week off coming to this game. They've lost to Auburn. They've lost to Florida and at Ole Miss. And somehow, somehow are still ranked in the top 25. Or, never mind. They, they were bounced out of the top they 25 going fall, into this game. Yeah. But, like, they've lost three in a row. They're reeling. Kentucky's coming to this game winning two in a row. Yeah, if they, they're going to a bowl game if, if, they, if they win. Because then, then you have a one-game season. Beat Vanderbilt. Just right, beat exactly. Vanderbilt. And, and, and Vanderbilt was not great in 2003 not like they are now um but yes i think i think that's what would have changed for kentucky Uh, for arkansas i don't know it's more okay so this is this might be a bit of a reach here but hear hear me out on some of this so arkansas had lost three in a row as we mentioned coming in this would have made it four had they lost this game so maybe we're talking about you know seven wins or something um we're talking about morale being kind of down 
with, with this team, it's different. They ended up winning nine games this season. Um, they were able to, to win a bowl game, and, and they went on a nice little run to end the season. This kind of turned their season around, just as it you know the Kentucky did Kentucky game did, ironically enough, the year before that. So Houston Nutt missed bowl games the following two seasons, and it was deemed rebuilding years. Um, 2005, by the way, that team won four games with Derek McFadden, with Felix Jones, with Peyton Hillis. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. Is okay. So if we're talking about you know just a seven-win season right there, and then two seasons without getting to a bowl game, nine instead of seven is really is really like what we're talking about here. Do they make a decision after that 2005 season and say, you know what, Houston, that you're you're not our guy. We're going to have to go in a different direction. And then how does that impact what's one of the the best backfields in college football history? I I don't know. That's that's a bit of a stretch, probably. Yeah. But it, and it's weird too because it's like when you look at. When you look at Arkansas, we talk about I talk about this with LSU a lot. When you say, when you look at L, like the state of Louisiana, LSU puts up a fence around that state, like for recruiting. It used to a lot more, but like that that's like one of the things they're known for is like making sure those in-state recruits stay home. And again, like it, it used to be a lot more solid. Like it, it's uh, recently, it's not been as much of a, a you know a wall in keeping those in-state guys home. But that used to be like their their calling card in recruiting. Same with Arkansas. These big time, and, and and you look at like these classes that came in from this time period. Like there's a five year stretch we're talking about, like at, uh, Mitch Mustaine, Damian Williams, and who was the other one? They had the number one receiver in Hillis. They had the number one receiver, running back, and quarterback in the country, all coming out of like out of Arkansas, out of the same state. Like that's I think no, I'm sorry, fullback. He wasn't he wasn't the running back. But, like, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, what I immediately went to go look up here is the other time that he did lose four games in a row. <laughs> because, of course. Because, I mean, so it's in you, – you want to say, like, I don't know, maybe they lost four in a row and then everything spiraled out of control. But this is – in 2000, when they previously lost four games in a row for the first time under Houston Nutt, they lose – I'm sorry, they are four and five – Right, and you're in November. They've lost four games in a row to South Carolina, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. They're four and five, Connor. What do they do the next week? They beat number thirteen Mississippi State on the road. Then they beat number twenty four LSU after that. Like, so I don't, I don't know what would happen because when they lost four in a row before, they go, they reel off two straight victories over ranked teams. Houston Nut is is an enigma. I don't get it. <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, I mean, you know, I. I, I don't know. That's that's a that's an, a tough question to answer because, yeah, with this game especially. Yeah, and, and and I think like with their schedule, I will say it was it was pretty easy besides the LSU game, right. obviously. Um, but I yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's several times like they were they were always streaky, but like they they never did anything by the book that made sense. That's why I think this game because. The result, it didn't really matter a whole lot. It didn't, you know, it didn't impact our lives in, in some major way. It's just kind of fun to go back and, and rewatch something like this and appreciate it for what it is. That is four hours and 56 minutes of entertainment. And, you know, that, that kind of defines, you know, what, what, what is so great about college football at the same time. That on a random Saturday night that you could have this much fun and you could get this much entertainment and like something that, even if you're not rooting for either team, you could be totally invested in this game yeah. the way that it ends. Um, Bill Curry said that he wished both teams could have tied after three overtimes. That's He was tired. He wanted right to go there. home. Yeah, give, um, give, give me a break with that. I don't, come on, man. I mean, yeah, I don't know about all that. That's that, that's a lot. I will say, like, again, speaking to the point of like Arkansas not making any sense and Houston not being the enigma, 
in that their overtime game previous that like like their previous overtime game that same year they like the Bama game and I hate to keep harping on it but the two overtime game think about the scoring you brought up in this game the Bama game they won thirty four to thirty one at the end of two overtimes mm-hmm. at the end of regulation it was tied thirty one thirty one there were there were three total points scored in two overtimes like it's just ah oh man you know Houston Nutt should coach Vandy like like I like Derek Benson a lot but like Houston maybe the SEC is better with Houston Nutt in it I should take I him it's, gambling it's been like it's been about eight years um Houston Nutt I'm sure is coming to an SEC school near you if the show causes like he should be allowed that. to coach like those week 11 cupcake games or week yeah, 13, yeah. he should be allowed to like bring back like all right, pick five of your former players, and like let they're allowed to come back. Like you can you can be UT Martin, but you get Darren McFadden at running back, and you got to put them in all their wrong positions. And we'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to play them at quarterback. Perfect. The uh, player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this game. So the way that this game ended was was tough because obviously you know. Lorenzen had this attempt to try and convert on fourth down, try and get like a first round run or first down run, and he stretches the ball out and he fumbles. And, and it's a tough final line for him um, in, in this game. But the, the image that I'll remember so Matt Jones converts this two point conversion at, in the sixth overtime. And there's this shot of Lorenzen. His back is to the camera and he's just standing still like a statue, like he does. And he's got a towel draped over his, his shoulder pads. And he's just, you could tell, you don't have to see the expression on his face to know exactly what it was, but he's just looking on in disbelief. Like, I can't believe I have to go back out there again, and I can't believe this game is still going on. There's just no, like, how am I ever going to win this game? This is just never going to end. And I I, I hate to see the way that, like, obviously it turned out for Lorenzo. And obviously, like, such a, a memorable game for Arkansas fans that you look back on and, and it's one of those fun things that, you know, Arkansas fans could probably still tell you a lot of the details that we were able to bring up. They remember where they watched it and all that stuff. But that was just like, I, I would have almost preferred like a missed field goal or something like that from Kentucky to, to end this. Or just some, some way that wasn't like Jared Lorenzen fumbling and finally showing that he doesn't have an answer for everything. Yeah, agreed. It's just, man, it's it was tough. It was tough to watch. It was tough to stomach. Uh at the, at the the end there because it was like for me it, it like I think like the the way I always remember this is the the comment he made about about like where y'all going Did you give us a hell of a game <laughs> like that quote was pretty pretty awesome money yeah this game was uh, this was fun though this was a really fun rewatch or for me like you know I'd heard stories of this game I never sat down and watched all of it but you know I had been seeing a lot of this kind of what's what sparked this idea was you know a month ago when we find out about the death of, of Jared Lorenzen and everybody's, you know, looking back on some of the things that he did. And a lot of those clips were, were going viral and it was just so cool. And he had a few of those obviously from this game. And it, it just kind of makes you appreciate somebody who, yeah, he might not have played for a national championship. He might not have done these things that we're going to talk about for 30, 40 years, but just somebody who impacted the SEC in such a unique way. And like, we, we need to always be able to appreciate those guys and recognize them. And I think to, to the credit of Kentucky fans, even though they were a team that wasn't going to bowl games, they appreciated Jared Lorenzen so much. That was so evident throughout watching this game. And that, you know, it was just, it was amazing to sit there and watch some of the things that he could do. And it's it's a shame that he wasn't able to, you know, kind of stay around that weight and be able to do some of those things in the NFL. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's, and it's, it's cool. I think like one of the biggest 
things that I really started to remember after like going back and watching this was, I, I mean, you've always everyone knows who Jared Lorenzen is. He was he was way more than what I I, I think I first referenced him. It's kind of like a novelty that was just like yeah. But everyone like I didn't realize this until after he passed away, is that his impact or his his popularity was so far reaching, and Absolutely. and I and I didn't realize that until you know like I said after he passed away, but it says a lot that he was such a memorable player and had such an impact on on a, not just Kentucky fans but SEC fans in general that will always remember him and and did so at a time when again you have guys like Jason Campbell at Auburn, Eli Manning at Ole Miss, David Green who before Aaron Murray was the all-time I think all-time NCAA mm-hmm. total wins leader uh at the quarterback position um who else am I missing I mean there's like just a lot of of big big names and he stood out amongst all of them and it was just it was really you know, it was like I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna get into like just keep naming off more and more quarterbacks, but it's just it was really really cool to see. So I think this was going to be this is our last adjustment more for the off season. I believe with us going, we, we are still gonna be doing two podcasts a week, but um, I think we're gonna we're gonna put these on the back burner until the off season. Something to look forward to in the off season though, because we've done three of these now. We wanted to just sort of test these out see what what your interest was people who are listening to this just kind of if you had you know thoughts about stuff that we can do in the future this was sort of a um sort of a a prototype for us and i think that we'll we'll make some a little bit you know some tweaks here and there and stuff but we want to do a lot more of these because they are they are fun it's it's fun for somebody who didn't grow up in the sec as i say all the time to just go back and and look at some of these great moments that that i'm sure have defined so many of your your fandoms and stuff like that so the plan is to circle back once the season ends but hey the good news we have actual football to talk about we have fall yeah we have real things happening. We have real injuries. Kurt stuff in 2019 that's actually going on. So Maybe um, next game we choose to do, um, I don't know, we, we pick like a, a, a two-and-a-half-hour game. Yeah, Just something a, like that. a lot of running involved and, and a, a rolling clock. We almost did the 3-2 the game. We're not we doing the 3-2 game. Not Absolutely not. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we'll work our way around uh, the rest of the SEC, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be doing a ton more of those uh, after the 2019 season wraps up but that won't be for a little while so i guess until then but you know we're gonna be back next week doing our normal pods and stuff so um coach o are, are you did you remember watching this game you remember where you, where you were Tommy, i gotta pee all right coach o let's see how it is it might it might pee too much <laughs> talk to you guys next week <laughs>